Hello, and welcome to Playability, where we hold conversations at the crossroads of gameplay and accessibility. I'm your host, Rebecca Strang, and I'm joined today by Kathleen Mercury, who is essentially a Swiss army knife when it comes to the tabletop industry. There's nothing she can't do, and she's got the belt to prove it. She plays games, she designs games, she writes and talks about games, and she's an award-winning teacher and brings young minds into the fold every year when she teaches board game design to middle schoolers and makes design itself more accessible, which is what we're going to talk about today. So welcome to the show, Kathleen. I have to tell you, that intro is so incredibly nice. That Kathleen sounds amazing. (laughs) Doesn't she? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, let's jump in right into it. Sure. When you're thinking about, you know, designing games and the games industry, what are some of the barriers that you've seen that can be problematic? Yeah, so I'm actually pretty fortunate, I think, in that you know, I got into gaming on my own as a gamer. I think that was one thing sometimes, you know, having to explain to people that, you know, I'm not here because I'm the girlfriend of, I'm actually a gamer. You know, there's mm-hmm. a little always a little bit about that sometimes. I think I think a lot of women have experienced that when they're Definitely. gamer. Or even if you come in as the girlfriend of, that doesn't mean that you're not a good gamer in your own right. And so a lot of my best friends in the gaming industry are women gamers. And I've been very careful to cultivate those friendships because it's nice to have other people who, you know, just can kind of understand where you're coming from, from that sort of thing. But I, I also have to say that I think I've been really, really fortunate because I'm a <laughs> sort of gregarious, outgoing <laughs> sort of person. And I love meeting and talking to people. My friend uh, Morgan calls me a slitherpuff, you know, crafty <laughs> and cunning, but yet I love people. and. Which actually really, really suits me in gaming, you know, like I want to play against you and I want to figure this out and I want to beat you and I want to destroy you, but I want to have so much fun with you while we're doing it, you know, and I hope you're having fun with me while we're doing it too, you know, and um, we can play another game and we're still friends afterwards. So, (laughs) um, but the one thing I have to say is I think especially as I've been involved in gaming, I'm just fascinated by design. It's just something that from when I met my very first game designer, I was like, what? You made that? Because I didn't realize how you know small the industry really is. And mm-hmm. so just a question of me being super nosy and asking lots of questions and meeting lots of people that as I've done more and more, because it really is an industry of relationships that I haven't had a lot of the barriers, I think, that some might. And I think what people could maybe learn from this, from my own limited, shallow, narrow range of experiences is, you know, one, what I just said, it's a business of relationships and Mm -hmm. knowing people and knowing who you want to work with and knowing what companies do. A lot of that kind of just getting involved aspect has helped to where, you know, I can talk with people and they'll say, you know, I want to design a game with you or we should work on a project together. And I'm always like, really me, (laughs) you know, because (laughs) I just, you know, I just didn't let anything stop me as far as I just wanted to do this. I just wanted to figure this out. And there's a lot of recognition, I think, amongst people in the industry to diversify the designers they have, content creators they have. And so in a lot of ways, I think I've definitely had a lot more opportunities come my way because I'm a woman in the industry, because people are wanting to diversify than maybe other guys have had, you know, because there are just there are a lot of guy designers out there and there aren't that many women designers out there. So I think I've been really lucky in that regard. But I think you can also unpack some of the things I'm saying as far as, you know, having to like push in 
if you're not comfortable with that, you know, if you're not comfortable yeah. talking with other people and approaching things in my sort of bull in the china shop way. <laughs> Yeah, I know. For for people who may be more shy or not as outgoing, it can be overwhelming to look at this industry and the people that are in there and think like, how am I going to get my game to even stand and be recognized against everything else? Right. No, that's 100% true. And honestly, like I remember my first game convention I went to, and I remember being really, really shy. Because I, you know, I want to know the lay of the land. This is a new world. You know, I want to know kind of what the norms are like, what the culture is, how people conduct themselves. And so just to go up to somebody and say, hey, let's play a game. I wasn't comfortable with that because I hadn't really been gaming that long. And when I was a new gamer and you're always learning new rules and I'm always frustrated trying to like remember everything and put it all together that I didn't often want to play with new people I didn't know because I didn't want to hold up the game or embarrass myself. You know, like, so I totally get it. I totally, totally get that. But I think that for me, remembering those days and now looking back saying, you know what, you could have, you know, sat down at a table and say, hey, let's play a game. Or people had a player's wanted flag to sit down and play a game. But what I ended up doing was I ended up hanging out. The, this is a geek way to the West, like eight, nine <laughs> years ago now. But I remember hanging out at the play and win table where you could play games. If you played them, your name went on a card. Somebody came home with a game. And I won two games that year. <laughs> Just because that's where I hung out because people I knew people were looking for games there. And I was like, hey, you want to play a game? Cool. Let's play a game. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And I think it's becoming a little easier to, to be able to put yourself out there because there's a lot more groups that are popping up, even on some of the social media. You know, there's a few groups out there specifically for women, the Analog Gamer Girls and World mm -hmm. of Women. And then there's a seat at the table and the board game spotlight. And all of those groups are super welcoming and great places to just start talking to people and just get your name out there. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where luck favors the bold in some ways, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I think in some ways, like I understand being shy. I understand being hesitant. I have friends who have pretty significant social anxiety and I get that and I understand it. And the only thing I can say though is, you know, and I don't mean this in a terrible, harsh way, but the world doesn't care, you know? that we all have our own individual, you know, Shakespearean flaws that we create for <laughs> ourselves that we struggle against. And we all have to figure out how best to overcome them. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I tend to act very quickly. I tend to act very rashly. You know, it takes me a minute to like stop, you know, and sit back and listen to what people are telling you. You know, we all have different things that we sort of struggle with. And so I think when it comes to all of the different kind of internal barriers that we can put up for ourselves, you've got to move past it. You know, you've got to move past it and just say to yourself, you know, I'm going to sit down at this table and I'm going to have publishers in the speed dating event come and look at my game. And, you know, the first time I did, it was totally nerve wracking. Afterwards, I was almost euphoric because it was so <laughs> much fun, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the thing. It's like, everybody's nervous the first time you do something, you know what I mean? But nothing ventured, nothing gained. You know, you've got to take risks if you want to have any type of achievement, any type of a reward. And if you're a woman in the industry, you don't need to say sorry for anything. If you're brand new as a designer, you don't need to apologize. You know, you need to put your game on the table because trust me, I've seen so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mine probably included in that. And I'm not kidding, you know. So just you can't be afraid to just try and put it out there. You know, even if you say, okay, I'm going to set up an appointment with one publisher at a con just to like dip my toe in whatever it is, you know, do it. Because at the end of the day, they don't care either. 
What they want are fun games. And if you bring a really cool, fun game to the table, you know, a lot of the other stuff can quickly fall away once you start working together. And do they give you money? Definitely. And it also helps, like you said earlier, if you're if you're developing those connections with other people in the industry, that can help boost you up and give you confidence and you can test your game out on other people before you throw it at a publisher. <laughs> oh, oh, you absolutely should do that. You absolutely should do that, you know. But that's one thing I think sometimes it's like I was on the uh, podcast Our Turn and we were talking about imposter syndrome. And part of the reason why I was on it was I was like, you know, I, I don't really have that. I just do stuff and I assume it'll work out. And it doesn't always work out, but I always have fun in the process, you know. But one of the things I found was that men will apply for a job if they're 70 percent qualified. Women will apply for the same job if they're 100 percent qualified. And mm -hmm. I think that says something about how we as women, especially when we're working in a field that's maybe not traditionally um, heavily populated by women, much like perhaps <laughs> that we feel like we need to apologize for that missing 30% or even that 100% that we still feel like that 100% isn't good enough, you know, and that even at 100% may not actually be the right person for the job. And the thing is, at the end of the day, no one cares. And I don't God, I sound like such a jerk. I, I sound like a real Slytherin. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing is, is, you know, put your game out there, show it, and see what happens, because that's all that can happen. You know what I mean? Like, and, you know, publishers can say yes, they can say no, they can say make these changes. There's all different kinds of responses that people can make. But you won't ever know unless you say to yourself, hey, Kathleen, or insert your name here, you know, <laughs> the worst that's going to happen is they're going to say no. The best that's going to happen is they're going to want to make your game. So really, how can it be a failure if you just put yourself out there to do it? Right. And even if they say no, you usually walk away with some good tips on what you can do to eventually get it to a yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, do your homework. Don't try to pitch a war game to indie boards and cards, you know, because <laughs> they're not going to make it, you know. And it's funny because talking with friends who are publishers, they say you wouldn't believe how often people say, well, I know you don't do this, but you should really check this out. It's like, no, we, we don't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like asking you know, family circle to publish nudes now that Playboy, I don't know, I think they're just online. I don't even know. But you know what I mean? Like family circle's not going to do that, even if it's tastefully done. <laughs> you know what I mean? Know your yep. public, know the industry. Yeah. And the more you do that too, then they're like, oh, this person gets it. This person understands. They know how this works, which means that they'll have a better sense of trusting you when it comes to working with you in the future. Yeah. And a lot of that just, you've got to be brave and fail and know that that's going to happen. And I know that you embrace that as well in your classroom with your kids. Oh, yeah. So can you, can you talk a little bit about how you bring board game design to the classroom? Yeah. I've been doing this for about I don't know, 11 years, something like that. And I went to a conference on gifted education. And that's what I teach, gifted kids in Missouri. And I went to a session on board games. And I was like, oh, yeah, I love Clue as a kid. You know, I love board games. And so I went and this woman was talking about, this is the whole story, I should probably abbreviate it, but basically <laughs> how every gifted classroom needs Stratego and Stratego is the only game that every gifted classroom needs, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know Stratego. And the reason why I didn't know Stratego is because I have sisters, three of them, and Stratego was a boy game. So um, <laughs> long story short, I got into gaming. I started playing games. I started playing games where I was like, you know, my students could make these and definitely 100% kind of <laughs> 
overly ambitious as far as maybe their abilities or more probably more specifically my ability to get them there, but learning a lot, a ton all along the way, doing everything from in the beginning where they'd have to do like a lot of writing or I'd have them spend way too much time developing initial prototypes. Whereas now, you know, I embrace rapid iteration, you know, oh my gosh, failing fast, you know, fast and cheap prototyping, you know, all these different things. And I teach my kids game design, you know, they develop a prototype, they iterate it four times over the course of our development phase, and the games are markedly better at the end. All of that is good. All of that is true. But the thing that I really do is I really teach my kids what failure is. A lot of my students um, have never really struggled in school. They're very used to a lot of objective kind of assessments where, you know, you get the right answer, you get 100%, maybe even 104% if there's extra credit. They're very, very used to that, that there is a right answer. And teaching kids to design games <laughs> means the opposite. Um, it means teaching them what failure is. It means teaching them what struggling is and teaching them how to persist. Because most of the time they get a class project, they do the project, they turn it in, they get a good grade, they move on to the next thing. This is, they make a really bad project. They play test it. They get a lot of feedback. And then that project comes back to haunt them over and over <laughs> and over again, you know? And that's the thing, like even for myself, I know that if I'm wanting to start designing a new game, it means, am I ready to fail with this a lot? <laughs> Do I love this idea so much that I want to keep hanging out with it <laughs> while we go through the forest and the mountain gorges and the fjords and the deserts? Am I willing to like go? Do I like this idea so much that I want to go there? And the answer, you know, if I stick with it is a yes, you know, because I see where all of those different areas, the mountains, the gorges, the rivers, the deserts can all teach me something different about the game and how it works if I'm willing to embrace that journey. And this sounds really, really nice. And I'm kind of proud of myself for coming up with it. <laughs> but it's true, you know. And yeah. so I think for my students, teaching them to put unfinished, not great work in front of their peers, to listen to feedback, to incorporate that feedback to work on the same thing over and over and over again. They've never had anything like this. And it teaches them so much about themselves. It teaches them a lot about learning from others and trusting others. And it's always interesting. It's always different. I'm always trying to improve things to make it better myself. And because especially when they fail, like really, like if they feel like they're failures, then I do very much so. And that's always the struggle is how do I get them to go through this process of failing and feel like a success? And that's very, very hard to do. And I am not always successful. <laughs> well, and you haven't put it right out there too, because you, I know you've had them post on the board game geek forums too. Are you still doing that with them? Yeah. So this semester, this school year just turned out weird. I'm actually not teaching game design this semester. I do seventh and eighth grade gifted. So this semester, I only have eighth grade. And next semester, I will only have all seventh grade. And so I am super excited. One, it was kind of nice actually taking this break because I've kind of let some ideas percolate. Whereas if I just kind of started the school year, I'd be probably back to doing more or less same old, same old. Um, or it's just harder. You know, there's so many things coming at you to like undergo <laughs> significant, you know, curricular changes. But I'm really excited that also next semester, this is the only thing that I'll have to focus on. And so in doing so, really thinking about my students' work and what they do, because, you know, one of the things I love is that, so as you were saying, at the end of the semester, I make a geek list and we post pictures of the kids' games and descriptions. 
And gamers, publishers, designers from all over the world ask questions, make comments. I post the responses. And the kids go from school project to real world idea, real Mm -hmm. world content that they're putting out there. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, they go from feeling like, oh, gosh, like we've been working (laughs) on this for so long to all it takes is one person to say, I would totally buy this. And it's just like a 180, you know? And so it's really, really cool. And so for this year, because I have additional time, you know, in terms of thinking about how I want to do things, I'm actually going to have the kids make their games print and play. So not just putting a picture and a description of the game, but actually we're going to be putting their rules and um, the prototype online. So that, I mean, yeah, yeah. Like it'll be a Google (laughs) Doc, right? So you'll have in the Google Doc, you know, you'll have to, you know, the rules, you'll have like all the, you know, the board to print out. And so they'll have to figure out, you know, that kind of rudimentary sort of graphic design. I'm sure I have kids who I know I have kids who do like AutoCAD and stuff. So maybe some formats will be different. But I'm really excited because this really is taking their ideas and really putting them out there into the world. And when we do that, at least especially even historically, you know, some games get more likes than others. Some games get more comments than others. Some games get a lot more attention than others. And I tell the kids, I'm like, you know, this is a marketplace of ideas. And this is what happens when you put things out there. You want to be the best. You want to be the one of the most likes, the most whatever. But that's not realistic, you know. Mm-hmm. But the thing, too, is like they know sometimes. Sometimes PGG gets it wrong where there'll be a really amazing game. But just in terms of how the picture looks or the description, maybe the kids, you know, because a lot of games can sound cool, even though they're kind of problematic sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, the better games tend to get the better responses. And the kids are really supportive of each other too. So that's good. Have you ever had any of your kids actually follow through and try to get something published yet? Sort of. You know, it takes a lot longer to develop a game than what we have. And so I've had kids take games to Geekway to the West, the local game convention. I've had publishers meet with them. And one game actually got picked up for consideration, but then the company was sold and then sold again. And at oh. that point, Casimir yeah. Day is like, I don't know what we're going to do with this kid's game, which is unfortunate because it was a solid game. Asymmetrical two-player game was really cool and well-balanced. It worked. So that's the closest. But I don't really push that um, sure. because it takes so much work to get there. And then you're talking about setting up meetings and sell sheets. And, and you would have to like, for a kid to... You know, I mean, it's like an amateur, you know, going to bat in a world in a major league baseball game and hitting a home run. You know what I mean? Even if they're a tall kid with lots of muscles and stuff like that. I mean, that's just a huge jump in talent and skill and hard work. And they're just not there yet. But I will say their ideas are really, really innovative. So even if games themselves haven't actually gotten published, the work is there. And that's one thing that excites me about doing this as print and play because their games are more or less going to be published. We're kind of skipping that step, you know, and we're just going to put them out there and we'll see what happens. I'm super excited about it. That is really exciting. I will definitely look forward to seeing those. It'll be fun to do some of those. We do a lot of print and play stuff here at our house. So (laughs) we'll definitely do that. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. I mean, it's definitely, the rules are going to have to be good. (laughs) You know what I mean? But I think too, I'm going to let them work with a partner, which for me is like monumental. And so hopefully with two sets of eyes, two kids working on it, we'll get some really amazing stuff going. And I'm super excited. Awesome. Yeah, you should be. That's really awesome. (laughs) And so 
if you had to pick one thing, what's your favorite thing about teaching board game design to these middle schoolers? Making kids better gamers, giving kids access to better games. You know, a lot of them, I mean, there's two, I guess. So there's that, but then also (laughs) just like the overall kind of, you know, process of design, that process of struggle and failure and persevering. I mean, that's huge, honestly. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it should, all kids, all adults, you know, should take on open-ended design challenges. I don't know where this is going. Um, But I think if nothing else, even on a temporary sort of basis, is I like the fact that a lot of them have so little gaming literacy when it comes to like what's out there. They only know a very narrow range of kind of big box store kind of kid games. And so the fact that I can get them into other games, better games that they end up buying and playing with their families. (laughs) I've sold a lot of games as a result of kids playing them in my classroom. I always joke, like, if I had a dollar for every game that a kid bought um, in my classroom, I'd have about $400. <laughs> like, quite honestly, that number realistically is probably more, honestly. Um, but anyway, so, like, giving them access to better forms of gaming so that when they're with their friends in middle school and high school, that they can play really good board games and hopefully become better gamers in general, stick with gaming, go to gaming conventions and just be part of the gaming community. Because I think that's the other thing, too, when it comes to what you're talking about accessibility. My classes are 50-50, male, female. Actually, Mm -hmm. that's not true because I have um, some students who consider themselves non-binary and, you know, other different permutations of gender, which I think is super cool that in middle school, they're comfortable and supported to express that. Definitely. Yeah. But I have kids um, whose families come from all over the world, kids who speak multiple languages, you know, kids whose cultures at home can be very different than their culture at school. So when we're talking about, you know, the gaming community and people tending to think that it's really homogenous, I would just like to say that's not what I have coming up. And I'm really proud of the fact that I'm getting so many different kids into gaming and they're getting their friends into gaming. And I think that's how we make change, too. It's not just, you know, on the short term of like of what, you know, we're trying to do, which is, you know, broaden the field, but, you know, broadening the field for others to come the way, you know, so because there's an expression, pioneers get shot, settlers get the land. And mm-hmm. I honestly don't really feel like I've taken many shots. I know other women in the industry who definitely have. But if I'm still part of that wave of getting women into the industry so that more women can come up and just be part of it. And it's no longer a novelty, but it's just like, hey, then, um, and that's, I think we're in a lot of ways, we're kind of there, maybe more so than I think, maybe less so than I think, but that's super important to me. Awesome. And so for people who would like to follow up and check out these geek lists and find out what you're up to, where can everybody find you online? Yeah. And I hope if you're interested that you do contact me because I love, love, love working and helping people use games in the classroom or however, you know, you want to you know talk about games, anything at all. I have a podcast. Oh, so here's how you get a hold of me. <laughs> so KathleenMercury.com is the name of my website. And I put all my game design teaching resources on there for free. So if you're looking to teach game design, I have a short, quick game workshop that can take a few hours to a couple of weeks, all the way to like every single resource for my big semester long game design class, which is huge. So if you're looking for that, and people all over the world are using it, which is really cool. And I'm always happy to help people talk with people about anything. And then you can also find me on Twitter. I'm an at Mercury, Mercury with seven M's. And I also co-host the podcast Games in Schools and Libraries. So if people want to know more about Games in Schools and Libraries, obviously, or you just like hearing the melodious sound of my voice, inverse genius slash Games in Schools and Libraries or whatever the URL (laughs) is, something like that. Awesome. 
Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. And I know myself, I will definitely be checking out your website as I'm doing gaming and libraries and everything. So I'm yeah, totally. free. <laughs> great. Well, um, I hope everybody's had a great time listening to this episode. If you have any questions or comments you would like to share with us, please email us at playabilitypod at gmail.com or find us on major social media platforms at playabilitypod. Thanks again for listening. I hope this episode helps you play with a new perspective. <laughs>